you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money Podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, Portfolio Managers with Barrican Capital Management, Inc. All right, Josh and Matt here from Barrican Capital, another episode of Bare Naked Money coming at you. And today we're talking about all things productivity, growth, GDP, immigration, capital stock, all kinds of exciting things today. Have you Ooh, dug yourself out stuff. of the, <laughs> Have you dug yourself out of the snow there, Matt, out there in uh, East Coast? Uh, we have done a pretty good job, although this morning, I, uh, while trying to get breakfast for our son, we heard a school bus beep his horn for 20 minutes as he couldn't get down the street because there were too many cars parked and the street had become so narrow that there was there was no getting by. So we can move, but it uh, it's still with challenges. So was he honking the horn so everybody would come out and, and walk up the hill into the bus or what, what was he trying to get at? There? Uh, I, I think he was hoping someone would come out of a house and move the car. I mean, he eventually moved. So whatever he was looking for, it, it was accomplished eventually, but it, uh, it took a while. All right. Good stuff. Mission accomplished. So uh, moving on to today's topic, we, we really came up with this because you circulated a report from National Bank Financial a few weeks ago that talked about a very scary word, population trap here in Canada. Why don't you give uh, a bit of an overview, a bit of a summary for that that report and what you found coming out of it? Great. Well, this report and, and credit to National Bank uh, Financial, this is a, well, I'm a big nerd, but this is a fantastic report, I thought. And they, they hit on a topic that, honestly, I had to go back to basically, a, you know, an economics textbook to really... Uh, to really remind myself of what it even was of, of, of a population trap. And maybe I'll define it for the audience here just so we all uh, remind ourselves or hear it for the first time of what is this event? Because it's, it's pretty rare in a developed market especially. A population trap is a situation where no increase in living standards is possible because the population is growing so fast that all available savings are needed to maintain the existing capital labor ratio. So... And we'll, we'll we'll get more into what that maybe specifically means and, and what it means for Canada, but it, it's not good it, in a it, our first take on it would be. Um, and it's it's just an it's a insightful way to look at the scenario we're in right here, I, I think in Canada, where we we've had the benefit of is it, well, it, population growth that we've never seen before. And I'll put some numbers behind that that are that are really mind blowing. In 2023, the population in Canada grew by 1.2 million people. And that's on the back of 2022, the population growing at 825,000. And well, I'm looking at the chart here, and, and it's just the, the growth is just, it's purely off the chart of what we've seen recently versus any, any time historically going all the way back to the 40s. And they, they, in fact, cite that you had to go back to 1949 when Newfoundland joined the Federation to see the country's population increased by more than 600,000 in any other year. So the we've had an objective of increasing the population here in Canada for some time, and, and it seems like, well, mission accomplished. And, and so that that is a good thing at first take because we have been very aware for some time of the challenge of demographics we have here in Canada. And, and demographics are one of those things where you can be a little more accurate with your predictions because the the trends tend to move fairly slow. It takes nine months for a birth. You can get a pretty good sense of well the age of the current population, what the sort of 
birth rates are and where that's where that's trending. And it was recognized some time ago here in Canada, like other developed nations in the West and, and the East, that uh, we were trending towards, well, uh, an older population, less workforce, less births happening, uh, which is all poor, hard on the economy um, and eventually going to be hard on our social services and that. So there was a almost a necessity for an increase in our population. And uh, we've done so with with some good success. But with that have come some interesting challenges. And, and one of them, uh, well, with such growth, we one of those big challenges maybe that we've found ourselves in a in a population trap. So this report here really dives into what does that mean? What are the specific areas that we're that we're seeing these challenges in our in our capital stock, and uh, and where do we go from here? So that really just piqued my interest because I you know we'd seen the population growth, we'd you know seen the economy sort of ticking along, and and maybe important just why why it is so important to the economy because really GDP growth kind of comes down to two main factors growth in the labor force and productivity growth. And so with an increase in population, we can maintain and grow our labor force potentially more. Uh, but we have been lacking on the other factor and, and that has led to, well, our standard of living truly not increasing for, you know, in, in this report seeing now six years. So those were the, those key items coming out of this. So despite a growing economy, at its core, our standard of living not improving and uh, maybe not headed to an improvement there anytime soon without changes. So those those really caught my eye to start on this report. And I didn't see that highlighted anywhere else. And I think Phil did some some really good work here and then brought it forward. And I, I think Josh thought it was interesting as well. And so here we are to share some of the insights. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's a great summary. Uh, thanks for that, Matt. So couple things that I'll just uh, ask you to flesh out a little bit. And uh, I, I love all the uh, <laughs> the macroeconomic textbook talk. Uh, but if we were simplifying some of this uh, this language for for some of our audience. So uh, I, I'm not sure you mentioned, maybe you mentioned in, in there, but the big surge in population really over the past couple of years is, is almost purely immigration. Is that right? Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Because, yeah, as you mentioned, we... We can see birth rates are fairly stable. So if you're going to see a big influx in people, uh, really, it's it's going to be immigration. And that's been uh, great for us in a lot of ways. But yeah, maybe creating some challenges in the in the shorter term. Uh, so you also mentioned how do we actually grow the economy? And it comes down to productivity growth, which is essentially technological improvements over time uh, and labor force growth. But the other thing that you kind of mentioned in there is there's something called capital stock as well. So maybe you can explain what capital stock is and how it kind of influences growth as well. Okay. I'll do my best here uh, on this front. So this is not my absolute area of expertise. It's an area of, of interest. So I'll give a definition that an economist might step in and say, well, uh, I would tighten it this way, but Let, let's put it I, in layman's terms. We we don't need the I mean. economic definition here. All right, perfect. Then. Everyone let's, will let's be okay it. with the layman's terms. So the capital stock it, it essentially represents the the capital being actual dollars and infrastructure of a nation, and so you might this might be most evident right now. I think and most discussed in the housing supply as, as part of our capital stock and the very evident lack of or gap supply deficit, I suppose, that we've seen with this with this increase in, in immigration. It's become very obvious. Well, we don't have enough houses. But it's 
it extends beyond that. It's maybe not so apparent, and maybe that's the one area where the gap is the biggest. But the capital stock gap would exist, you know, elsewhere throughout the economy in terms of our manufacturing capital and and, and beyond. So the challenges it's I think most discussed and most to the forefront on the housing supply and our you know, lack of capital stock there. But it extends beyond, and and all of that challenges the economy in that we can't quite there there isn't the the sort of the gap to grow into because we've 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 bumped up against our current output gap and uh not and so further investment needed to to really see us go further but where does that come from um we're not quite sure so it's, it's almost as though we we had a goal of growing the the population that was step one accomplished but step two and beyond maybe weren't considered of well if we get these people where do they live how do we ensure their product they're productive? How do we make sure we have the services available and the infrastructure available? And that seems to be what we um, what we're dwelling with right now. Yeah, yeah. So capital stock includes, as you said, things like housing. Uh, it, it's kind of like all the things that the workforce actually uses. So mm-hmm. things like housing, things like you know the factory or the computer or the backhoe that they're using, the the highway that they're driving on to to get stuff from point A to point B. So what National Bank is is really uh, arguing in this report here is that with such an influx in people, we need to have a commensurate investment in the the stuff that they can use to, to be productive. So uh, just a si- simple but silly explanation is just looking at computers, right? Let's say that every person had one computer now you've added a million people and we're short a million computers. Uh, and those people are going to be a lot less productive if they're using uh, pen, pen and paper than a computer to, to do their jobs on a daily basis. Obviously, uh, a little bit of a silly example there, as I said, but that's kind of the idea of, of what they're getting at. Well, exactly, actually. And that's, that's much better than I was able to get to in mine. And so what we might see is overall output increases somewhat because, okay, people are writing on the pen and pad and they're doing something, but they're nowhere near as productive as they would be if they had that computer. And so output is slowly increasing, but not to the extent it maybe should be if we had that increase in capital investment too. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. So we need to put more dollars to to build more things and to construct more things and to buy more things that are going to make people productive now that we have the extra million people here. So, so that's interesting. Now, I'm going to push back on this report a little bit. And I gave you a, kind of a hint of what I was going to push back on before, but the uh, the capital stock per capita, so capital stock per person really started decreasing in and around the year 2012. So I'm going to ask you the open-ended question, Matt. Do you know what also kind of started happening around that point? Uh, I started my career in wealth management. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll have to leave it to you outside of that. Yeah, so that's good. So around that time, that that was kind of the peaking of the commodity cycle as well. Maybe a little bit after the commodity cycle was kind of peaking. It was probably about 2010, 2011 when that commodity cycle was peaking. So I actually dug into some of the numbers and was wondering, okay, how much truth is there to this idea that you know, there's not enough investment in in the capital, the things that we need to be productive in our in our country. And I parse the numbers to see where is the investment, what industry are we lacking this this so-called capital from? And one of the arguments that National Bank Financial put forward in this research report was that 
uh, capital stock has been basically flat over the last decade or so. And that is true in an aggregate sense. But if you actually dig into the numbers, the only reason it's flat is because there's been a massive decline in, in capital investment and capital stock in the mining, oil, and gas sectors. So that is obviously, as we know, a huge part of the Canadian economy. And the capital stock there declined by about half over the course of this decade. So if you take that industry out, those industries, you call it mining, oil, and gas, if you take those industries out of the aggregate calculation, the capital stock would actually be up by about 16% over the decade, which isn't amazing, but it's a lot better than the picture that's painted by this report. And I think that the, the natural conclusion for me, and there, there, there's a whole bunch of other conclusions, but the natural conclusion for me is that, yeah, they're not, these industries aren't going to invest in buying more backhoes and, and more mining equipment when the, the cost of their product has basically gone down for the entire decade. Do you think there's any validity to my pushback? I mean, I think there's something there, and I think that's an important piece to break out to see, you know, that does represent such a big key piece of our capital stock, and investment has slowed there, and for many reasons, maybe, but it still represents an important part of our economy, certainly, and so to our growth. But then, I guess it begs a, maybe a further question, if that was such an important part of our economy, where we were investing, where, why didn't, what have those dollars gone towards? It doesn't seem like there's been a replacement. We've yeah. said, well... We're not investing there, and we now don't have anywhere to put those dollars in or any any area of growth. So, certainly a good point, but maybe more concerning. If, yeah. if that if that's if that was our area of investment, now what is it? Yeah, and I'm glad you got there because I kind of arrived at the same spot, thinking maybe the issue was how we've actually structured and built our economy over the last several decades. Like we maybe need more diversification and need less resource reliant growth mm. and and I don't know where that comes from I don't know how you implement that policy wise but it's it's always been a bit of a, a an issue and concern our concentration in certain industries you can look at our stock market as well and you, you'll see you'll see similar trends and and so maybe our our focus should not be on just making sure capital stocks growing maybe it, it's just making sure that we have a diverse economy that can thrive in a variety of different environments. Yeah, well, I'd certainly agree with that. But it also begs the question, are, are things maybe worse than we thought in that if we were such an exporter of these resources that we put so much capital into and demand for those are potentially declining and less capital is going into those, well, we still need energy. And so have we now become more of an importer of these, is it, of you know the energy how it's going to be generated in the future let's say if we're not putting capital into into creating it here does that affect the trade deficit does that affect budgets and they didn't go here in the report but you know this is uh you know i think there's some concern that could come there as well if if we were a, a generator of energy of the of the past and, and still needed today maybe, maybe that capital investment or aren't we primed to put that capital into investing in energy of the future yeah, and maybe we're seeing some of that with the the battery technology. I know I read a report earlier this week that Canada is one of the most attractive spots to invest in for for battery tech at the moment. So maybe we're starting to see a bit of a uh, 
turning the corner on this, but I guess time will tell. And it's pro probably uh, bigger questions than we're primed to answer here, I'd say. Yeah. Oh, I think you're right. But you know, you're right. And, and I mean, even just here locally in Halifax, we, Dalhousie, there's been, you know, there's some excellent research happens here on the battery front and there's other investment into you know, new hydrogen type investments. And, you know, there's mm -hmm. certainly investments occurring in that area, but uh, as you can see, it's pretty evident on the chart that overall investment has, uh, has slowed. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now I have another question for you, kind, kind of related. So Immigration seems like it's come under fire recently, just even over the last couple of months, there's been a lot of articles and news reports about uh, maybe the challenges that immigration is is creating. Now, we saw earlier this week that uh, Canada has limited uh, immigration from foreign students. So question for you, do you think this is economically net positive, net neutral or net negative? Ooh, I, I'll, I'll take the center line and say it's going to be net neutral. I mean, I think the real, the real benefit, I think, from the, the foreign students that do come in is, is when they stay and they, they, they find jobs, create businesses, start families in the country, you know, to spend four years here and, 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 you know, spend tuition and some rent and, you know, uh, you know, contribute to the economy marginally for, for four years is, is good. But the real benefit comes when you when you have people people stay and truly become part of the country, and and we've seen more of that. The retention has, I think, improved in, in people not just finishing their degree and, and moving on. Uh, so if you don't start, though, do you ever do you ever sort of find those roots here and, and ever make their mm -hmm. way? And so, to I, it almost feels like we'll have to wait and see if we start yeah. to limit how many people start here does that uh, does that mean they never find their way to canada if they get educated elsewhere or do we still once educated do they still seem feel canada is a you know a good place for them to live yeah so that, so that's a good point cuz i hadn't seen the numbers of how many students actually stay but you're saying that it's actually increasing over time which i think is a positive thing yeah, and I, I guess that data I have is more sort of regional specific. It's certainly improved right. in Nova Scotia, yeah. and I, you know, I, I'm not, I can't say that it's with the same certainty across the country, but I, I think directionally it probably has. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, the other thing I find interesting about this report, it and a lot of these reports on immigration, they all kind of focus on the housing angle, and I get, I don't know, is that can we say that that's the biggest? challenge economically that's facing the country at this point maybe what do you think i mean housing and housing related entities are they're something like 20 percent of our economy so yeah. yes to to that extent and it just it also just feels like it's the one that's right so much in your face that there yeah. and everyone is so aware of this it does and it touches everyone more to an extent than well what is our capacity to produce widgets do we want to produce more widgets and that is maybe less evident to to the average person than just the widget producers. So uh, I, that one, I think, just has more of a, a touch to everyone. So we're, we're, we're more aware. And it's just a position we've, we've also never been in of such a lack of supply of housing. I mean, that's shown here, too, in the report, just uh, how big the gap is in, in terms of the, the deficit of, of housing available. It, going back to 1975, we are, you know, or standard deviations from what the what the typical balance of the of housing would be. So there's no question that that's an extreme event. Yeah, and, and maybe that's the uh, 
that that for me is maybe the, the more relevant thing here is it's just hard to if you have a million people coming in a year it's just hard to decide to build a million houses for them right it's mm-hmm. just it's not possible so there are certain in some respects i kind of push back on this report saying well you know it's pretty easy to invest in capital if we need to so that'll come but it's also definitely creates some short-term discomforts, if you want to call it that, because it's not like you can just pop up a million houses in uh, the blink of an eye to accommodate all these people. So it's it's one of those things where some immigration is definitely positive and having a, a really strong immigration policy, I think, has all kinds of benefits for the country. But there's a limit to everything, I guess. They're too too much of a good thing. There, there, there is such a thing as too much, right? Yeah, exactly. I think we're having some growing pains now. But I think a bit of concern, I'm, you know, for me at least, comes from I'm not sure if at, you know, say the policy making level they've if this is being recognized. I don't know if they saw the report. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. You know, they've done a great job on this mission to, you know, for to increase the population. Mission accomplished there. But now what? And now how do we take advantage of that? And I'm just not so sure that that's the the stage they've kind of gotten to. Well, now they're limiting immigration of foreign students. So they're taking some steps there. Anyway, it, it seems like they've noticed, maybe not this specific report, but the general sentiment that's out there in the, the populace about this lack of housing and immigration is taking away our houses, so to speak. Uh, and as Colin mentioned on our, on our call yesterday, he said, Economically, it might be positive or negative, but f- for sure, politically, this is a positive for them. It's going to get them some some positive political vibes coming their way, uh, which uh, unfortunately is a lot of uh, a lot of what goes into the decision making these days. It seems. Yeah, very true, and and we know Canada is, you know, it's a great country. It's it's where people. I think it's very obvious people want to live here. They want to be here, and I hope we'll be able to you know, grow into this new growth and, and, you know, in terms of housing and, and all, you know, and all the other areas where investment is needed and, and really thrive here and hopefully raise the standard of living that uh, has, has been stagnant for a period now. Yeah. So neither of us are policy analysts, but when we talk about policy, is there anything that you high level that, that you would like to see them kind of change their track on? that you think might make the the immigration and housing issue a little bit easier? There's been some measures recently in terms of, I think it was federally and both provincially in terms of the HST on new builds, or which really has seemed to ramp up a lot of activity in this market, at least some many developers sort of sitting still. And then, you know, if there's a 15% change in, in your cost, essentially, it's, well, let's get started on that project. So that was a good recognition. There's only so much that can be done about, well, available land or the cost of materials, the available labor, the willing labor. Uh, so, you know, a lot of that is beyond policy. I think it's just, uh, you know, a factor of the, of the economy at the moment, but a, a good step at least taken there. And, you know, that's as far as my expertise goes, I suppose. Yeah. We, we, we need immigration to build up our labor force. Is that, is that what I heard you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why isn't that in the report? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but like for me, the, the issues with a lot of the policy over the past, maybe up to more recently, was all about, you know, here's more money to help you get into your home. And, in, and I'll give you a couple examples. One, there was this uh, first home savings account that was created by the Liberal government a couple of years ago. 
And essentially what it's doing is it's, it's making more money available for the buyers in a way. And what that does is it drives up demand. It drives up demand. It makes people willing to pay a higher price to get into their property. Um, and you could say the same thing about lower interest rates, which I know wasn't directly uh, a direct contribution of, of the political party, but it certainly helped do the same thing. If you have lower interest rates, lower mortgage expense, now you can afford a, a bigger house. So there's some of these policy things that maybe didn't address the root cause, which is probably supply and just boosted demand. And if you boost demand, as we know, going back to our economics textbooks, what, what it's going to do is it's going to drive up price. So that the HST thing that you're talking about, I think goes, goes a long way of addressing the, the root cause in, in a better way is it's trying to increase supply, which is, I think, going to do a better job at moderating prices than increasing demand. So there's been some some red tape that's been uh, lifted over the last little while. I think that's a good thing. I have a buddy who's a, in the property development um, uh, business, and he works really closely with the finances of, of this company. And he said it's incredible if you look at the amount of taxes that they pay as a property developer for all kinds of stuff uh, before a building's even up, before a building's even starting breaking ground. There's all kinds of taxes, municipal um uh development provincial fees. develop yeah there's all kinds especially of especially in your market it's unbelievable yeah. it's yeah it, it really is and if you start to scale back some of those costs and taxes that are maybe not so much an impediment to building but uh driving up the cost of building which is all obviously and always going to drive up the cost of the end product then you can start to address again the root cause a little bit better so Seems like we're starting to make a couple inroads on that, but still few and far between. Yeah, exactly. So I think they've made some good measures. And another maybe small item is, you know, the the changes of rules of short-term rentals, Airbnbs and that. And in many mm -hmm. cities, there's been some adjustment to the rules just to make, you know, that available for housing instead of, uh, you know, rent short-term rentals. So, but we really just need more houses and that doesn't happen you know, it's not as though that's a thing that comes just tomorrow. It does take a thoughtful plan, recognizing, you know, we're looking at 12 months plus out to, you know, to create a new unit. So um, mm -hmm. hopefully we are on our way to doing that, but we know that there's more needed. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So one of the other things that you brought to my attention was it just seems like the investment at the private sector level has been weak for decades. And so maybe, maybe it's not as much a recent phenomenon, but this is something that's been going on for a while. So uh, what, what do you think is really driving this? Do you think it's, it's just our personality up here in Canada that we're not keeping up with the investment uh, in the States? Do you think this is a policy issue as well? So, somewhere in between, a bit of both? You know, maybe it's a bit of both, but I, I, I have to go to it's more of a personality thing maybe i mean it's just the americans more pushing for growth willing to invest more in the business i mean it so i guess maybe for the audience we're we're both looking at a chart that shows a, a trend since 1980 of of investment into into business and the gap was wide and i'm sorry i'm just getting it in front of me here that so rather 1970 and just the gap that just ever widening of current manufacturing investment per worker so this is 
been a trend and has only expanded here of recent. So, yeah, you know, policy changes over five decades. So it, you know, maybe in certain points when it was more incentivized to invest here in your in your business in Canada, but for it to be such a persistent trend, I think you have to factor in culture. Maybe it's yeah. one of the biggest items. Yeah, and this is specific to manufacturing, so it could just be again that we've had less a, of a manufacturing centric focus in our country over the past several decades, which is probably probably a fair comment. Uh, it, it made me think of when you brought this up. It made me think of the last podcast we recorded, and we were talking about the sort of in, incentive or determination to start and run small businesses here in Canada. And it seems like that has fallen off a little bit over the past 10 to 15 years. And I argued at the time that there's there's probably some tax code changes and, and policy changes that are affecting that as well. But that's uh, another source of uh, potential private sector investment that's probably a little bit lacking at this point. And again, I don't know, it, it probably is to some extent cultural uh, because it does seem like um, our, our friends south of the border are very um, entrepreneurial. And us maybe a little bit less so here in, in Canada, but uh, there's probably, again, some policy changes that could be enacted to, to make things a little bit more desirable to, to have that push in the private sector. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. And, you know, I don't have the, the figures in front of me, but I, I think it even translates into foreign direct investment into this country. And it's been a bit of a slowing trend and just a recognition that, well, we won't, we're not investing as much into our own country. So why would someone outside think to invest here? And, you know, I, I think there's, there's something to that. Where do you want to go next? Uh, I think we, I think we covered this off pretty well. Um, I think there's, is there anything in all of this that we, I mean, that we did not touch that, uh, that you wanted to, to dive into? No, I think we've, as you said, I think we covered it pretty well. Um, Coming out of all this, you know, we've been discussing this for 20, 30 minutes now. Like, what, what would your, what would your key takeaways be? What, what, what do you think people should sort of understand and observe from all this? And what do you think is important to, to know? I mean, I think it's important to know that policy is hard, that uh, growing yeah. an economy is hard, that it, uh, there are so many moving pieces, but that the, at the underlying core, you know, we have an attractive place to live. We have a, you know, an educated, one of the most educated populations in the world. We are standing on good pillars and we have great opportunity here. I, I do think there just needs to be more of a focus on how do we use these tools and really take advantage, let's say over the next decade and really become more of a, a place attracting talent and, and just raising the standard of living. I think, I think it's all there. Just, we just have to put some sort of focus. Maybe it's policy incentives or or, or whatever it might look like, but uh, we're we're not we're certainly not in a bad place. But I, I just think we, if without focus on this, you know, I'm not sure where we head because our standard of living to not improve over six years is uh, that's worrying. And uh, how do we get out of that that sort of stagnation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's a very good point that we have the platform for success. We maybe just need a couple of tweaks at the edges to to really propel us forward because. It seems like the the talent is is here, the the intelligence, the experience, the expertise is here. Um, we just need to continue to make that uh, make the most of all of that, I guess, at this point. Yeah. 
I'd agree. Great. And we can awesome. just sit well, here and opine on that. And I guess. <laughs> <making> yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll just sit here criticizing policy decisions <laughs> and uh, <laughs> from our, our ivory tower, if you want to call it that. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Yeah, thank you, Josh. If you're breaking a sweat trying to figure out what your financial advisor is talking about, you're not getting the service you need. You probably hate trying to get an answer from them, but you also think moving your accounts will be a headache, and it might be. But working with DontRockTheBoatWealthPlanning.com or .ru isn't exactly stress-free, is it? Call us. We will demystify the world for you. Please note, the information provided in this podcast is for general information purposes only. It is not intended as financial, investment, legal, tax, accounting, or other professional advice. Our discussions are not a solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to make any specific investments. Any decisions based on information contained in this podcast are the sole responsibility of the listener. We strongly advise consulting with a professional financial advisor before making any financial decisions. Listeners should be aware that investing involves risks and that past performance is not indicative of future results. Bare Naked Money is produced by Varican Capital Management, Inc., a licensed portfolio management company in Canada. We operate under the regulatory framework established by the Provincial Securities Commissions in the provinces within which we operate. The views expressed in the podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any regulatory authority. Remember, at Farrakhan Capital Management, Inc., we focus on aligning our goals with yours, prioritizing integrity and transparency. For more information about us and our services, please visit our website. Thank you for listening, and let's continue to challenge the norms of the financial services industry together.